Luke chapter 15. Y'all excited to be in church today? God is good? All the time? All right, I'm going to change one up on you. All right. God is holy? All the time? God is gracious? All the time? God is just all the time. Amen. Amen. Know that every one of God's attributes we can say that of, right? Because this is our God, and He's worthy of praise, He's worthy of worship, He's worthy of honor. And I'm going to do something a little different this time. We're going to just get into the text, and then I'm going to pray. We're going to actually read... Um, Luke chapter 15, the first two verses, and then we're going to jump to the parable of the prodigal son, which is our text. So Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 1 right now. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners. And eats with them. How dare he? Verse 11. And he said to them, Jesus is talking, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me my share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided the property between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out as one of the citizens of to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have had more than enough bread, but I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him and said, and and the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer to be worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fatted calf and let's kill it and, and let's have, eat and have a celebration. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard the music and the dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come. And your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and he refused to go in 
And his father came out to him and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, look, these many years I've served you and I never disobeyed your command and you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has devoured your property with prostitutes comes, you kill a fatted calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that I have or all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this. Your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Let's pray. Father God, this is one of the greatest stories you ever wrote because it's about the greatest news in all the world. And it's about your heart towards sinners in need. And Father, I, I don't feel worthy to preach this. I feel so inadequate. And I pray that you would supply your spirit and that you would anoint this time and that you would prepare every heart out there to hear your word. Lord, we need to hear from you. If we don't hear from you, Lord God, if your spirit doesn't speak, then we will come off cold in the hearing of the word of God in the proclamation of it. May your name be glorified as we get into this passage, as we get into this text, as we get help. Lord, would you minister? Would you bring life to some who may be dead in here? Would you bring hope to some who may be discouraged? Would you bring a forgiving word to some who need it and, and a rebuking word, Lord, if somebody is needing that and that you would bring hope and help and that we would be able to sing and celebrate with you, Father, that you love to rescue sinners in their need. When they repent and turn to you, they turn to your son. And so I pray that Jesus would be magnified and you would be made much of and that your spirit would blow upon your word now. In Jesus' name, amen. So just to bring us up to speed here, Luke has been unfolding this drama of Jesus and the Pharisees all through his book. All through the book, you've got Jesus on a collision course with the Pharisees because Jesus is pursuing sinners in their need. Because Jesus is actually coming to rescue sinners. And he's actually inviting the verse one and two of this passage, right? Tax collectors and sinners are coming to him. And, and you got to read into this what's really happening. Because in Jewish culture, if you were deformed, if you were a tax collector, if you had a, a, a job that would be considered kind of like a low class job, you are an outcast, a social pariah, and the religious Jew would not associate with you. You're unclean, even though many of them were Jewish. And so they had no heart for them, no time for them. And Jesus is running towards those people with hope, and he's actually attracting them. And they're coming to him all over the place. So he's got this like non-traditional approach to ministry, and the Pharisees are all fired up. They're like, what is he doing? He's actually inviting them. He's touching lepers. What's wrong with him? He's going to be unclean. And Jesus is the only person who can touch a leper and be clean and make the leper clean. Jesus is the only person who can come into a sinner's life and touch him, make him new, 
without being defiled himself. And the Pharisees were trying to just like, we're just going to do our ministry and we're just going to be on our own and we're going to give the boot to everybody else. But Jesus had a heart for the masses. He looked at them and they were like a sheep without a shepherd. And he longed for sinners to come to repentance. And so the very fact that, that, that Jesus is doing this, I mean, the, the, the Pharisees would have been fine if, if he just you know, said a few words in the synagogue. If he was a good Jew, you know, read the Torah, kept to the, you know, kind of the clean, morally sort of upstanding citizen and didn't go out to all those people who were nasty. And that's not what Jesus did. He, he flipped it on his, he flipped all their expectations on its head. And Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah. We have to get into this text because we miss it and we don't realize that the Pharisees are the ones who should have known who Jesus was. They should have known. This is the Messiah. He can make the blind see. He can make the deaf hear. He can make the cripple walk. He can walk on water. He's the one who can do these things that nobody could do. And they saw him doing these miracles and saying these things that nobody could do. And they just balked at it. And they were angry and they grumbled that he would receive such kinds of people. But God always has a heart for sinners who repent. And so Jesus' whole ministry is scandalous to the religious Jew, the Pharisee. Now, some of them come out of that. You got Nicodemus who comes to Jesus by night and he's like, hey, Jesus, I know you've been doing a lot of stuff. I know you've been doing some miracles. Something must be good about you, but I don't know. You know, tell me about it. And Jesus is like, listen, unless you're born again, you can't even see the kingdom. And that was like a slap to his face. What? What? I'm blind. I need to be reborn. He didn't get it. And Jesus has a talk to him that ends saying. This is God's love towards sinners. That he sent his only son. To lay down his life on a cross so they could be rescued. And all who believe on him would be saved. And it was like a thunderbolt to, to Nicodemus's heart. And Nicodemus would end up becoming a Christian later. But this is scandalous stuff. And most of these Pharisees and scribes who were the legal stewards of the law and knew the Bible well wanted nothing to do with Jesus. Actually, they opposed him. And when Jesus said stuff like, I came to seek and to save that which is lost. You know what they did? They said, we got to kill this guy. So that's what's going on when we enter into this famous of all parables. I mean, Charles Dickens said the parable of the prodigal son is the greatest short story ever written. And it happens to be divinely inspired. So we're going to go beyond that and say this is God's word to us for our help and our hope right now to teach us about who God is, his love for sinners, and to show us there is really two ways to be lost. You can be lost in licentiousness and lost in legalism. And that's what we see when we enter into this famous parable. 
That's exactly what we see. So we're going to start in part one, and we're going to see the lostness of the younger brother, who we normally call the prodigal son. And the prodigal son just means wasteful, or he spends everything, wastes everything. That's what prodigal means. So when we say that, I don't want it to be like some Greek word where we're like, okay, prodigal, yeah, I don't know. But it's, he wasted everything that he was given. So let's get into the text. Verse 11. And Jesus said, he's saying this to the Pharisees who are missing it and grumbling. Listen, there was a man who had two sons. Stop real quick. So the two sons are the younger brother, the prodigal, who represents the tax collectors and sinners, and then the older brother who gets upset and he gets really hyped because the dad forgives the younger brother who squandered his inheritance and he's throwing a party and he's all upset and he rebukes the father and he won't even come in the house. You know who that is? That's the Pharisees. So, I mean, Jesus is going to say in a very clever way, you all are missing it and you're outside the kingdom. And there was a man who had two sons and the younger brother or the younger of them said, to his father, Father, give me my share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Now, you got to get inside this because what the younger brother's doing is he's basically saying, like with Frank Sinatra, right? I did it my way. I want it my way. I want it my way or the highway, right? I, I, I want what I want, Father. And in that culture, you don't ask for your inheritance before your father's dead. So it's like he's just slapping him in the face and saying, you know what, Dad? I wish you were dead and I had my money. And the father, in a gracious condescension, comes down and he's just like, all right, I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you. Sometimes God allows us to make a mess of ourselves so we get lost enough to get saved. Y'all understand that? He... He, he allows you sometimes to get in the dumps so you can get lost in that. Okay, okay, you want to see what it's like to squander my gifts without me? If you want my gifts and you don't want me, it's going to be a mess. And that's what the prodigal was doing. Verse 13, not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had, and he took a journey into the far country, like spring break, right? We're going to go spring break, Mardi Gras. We're going to do whatever we want. We're going to be as far away from home as possible. How many people have replayed this story in their own life? I'm just gonna, I just want to shake off my parents. I want to shake off my, my father and mother, and I'm just going to go do what I want and live it up. And they ended up in a pig pen, and that's exactly what happens. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. He squandered it, which means he spent everything in reckless living. Verse 14. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country. Interesting how the providence of God works sometimes. And he began to be in need. He began to be in need. So he went out and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields 
to feed pigs, and he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs had ate, and no one gave him anything. No one gave him anything. Do you see what's happening here? He wanted what he wanted. He took his inheritance. He spent it wildly. He did his own thing. He thought, I'm just going to live it up full tilt, no holds bar. I'm going to use my money. I'm not going to take anything that I desire and, and kind of restrain myself. I'm just fully going to go for it. And Solomon, one of the kings of Israel, did that very thing. The book of Ecclesiastes is all about that, where he says, he says in Ecclesiastes that I, I did everything under the sun that could be done to gain pleasure. And I found at the end of it all what money could buy me, what wisdom and all the knowledge that he could possess could get him. And it was like a chasing after the wind. He was in the wind and there was vanity. And life was bitter and boring and stale and consequences would come. And actually Solomon would be led astray into idolatry. His father had a heart after God and he would be the one king to lead Israel into idolatry and bring and plunge the nation into a civil war. Such is what happens when we go it our own way. And that's exactly what we see in the prodigal son. And, and there's just some details here that are like profound, right? So he's, he's squandered things in reckless living, but then he gets to the point where he hires himself up, his, himself out to the Gentile citizens. So he's a Jew hiring himself out to Gentiles and he's feeding pigs. And that's like no bueno for a Jew. You don't want to feed pigs because pigs are unclean and you're defiled just by doing it. You're just violating Torah right there. And obviously he didn't care. He was desperate. He's in a famine. He's in the middle of a situation where he's just ready to basically do whatever he could. And so he basically pimps himself out to some Gentile to feed pigs. And if that's not enough, he's longing, he's longing in verse 16 to be fed with the very pods that the pigs ate. And no one would give him anything. So he's groveling in a pig pen, longing for what the pigs eat, and he doesn't get it. He can't even get that. The pigs are better off. That is just a beautiful illustration of the horror of sin and the sinfulness of sin and the consequences that sin brings into our life. And you just look, you, I mean, if you look at uh, a drunk or an addict or a gambling addiction, it didn't start like at the end. Sometimes we see that and we're like, oh, this is just like, what a mess. This guy's awful. He must be the worst person in the world. And it started somewhere. It started with a drink. It started with a little bit of, you know, friendly gambling. And then all of a sudden it took hold and all of a sudden it just got worse and worse and worked itself down. To where a bottle turned into a fifth. It was a beer can, now it's a fifth. Of rum. 
That's exactly how it works. That's exactly what you see replaying all around you in the world and maybe in your very life. Maybe you were called out of that. Maybe you're one of those prodigals that needed to be delivered, that needed to be getting a wake-up call. Or perhaps you're in here today and you're an elder brother. Or you were an elder brother. And God saved you. Because the elder brother's going to be like, oh yeah, <laughs> these guys are jacked up. It's not looking pretty. And we'll just kind of like inch back. Okay, back it up. Back it up. <laughs> you know, I don't want to be around these sinners. But Jesus is running towards them. His whole parable is aimed at running towards sinners in need and showing you what happens when somebody wakes up. And there's just this, this awareness of the consequences of sin when you're in this kind of a pig pen. We had a community night the other night, uh, last weekend, and it was fun. We had a blast. I mean, it, it was just a blessing. And um, my kids, like, they showed up real, like, clean <laughs> to that event, right? But, but, like, by the end of it, I saw like three swamp things coming at me and they were just covered in muck and mire and disgusting, you know? And I just saw my son Josiah running like, and just like puffs of smoke kind of going behind him of dirt, right? And so I'm like, this is a mess. You know, he looked like pig pen, like running around with smoke coming off him. And, and it was just, you know, interesting. But that's the picture here. This is just, it's a mess. He was clean and then he got dirty and he defiled and he's in a mess and he knows he spent everything and he needs help. And one preacher just put it so poignantly when he said, the prodigal son wasted his money, he wasted his time, and he wasted his life. How many of us maybe are, are there right now? They're in a pig pen. And maybe your pig pen is just all walled up. Nobody can see it, but you know you're in the pig pen. And you need rescue. You need help. You need hope. You need to be reminded that, that God actually helps those in need who humble themselves before the mighty hand of God and He will lift you up. Or maybe you're like the beginning of this parable where He's trying to pursue the good gifts of His Father apart from a relationship with the Father. Maybe you're just wanting, I just want to live life. I want to enjoy it, but I don't really need the God thing. Like, can we put the God thing on pause and I'm going to live it up and then I'll let you know if I want the God thing later. But you were made for him and your soul will be restless until you rest in him and you'll end up in that pig pen. Stinking, reeking, needing to be clean. Maybe you're in here today and you're just like, I need to be clean. I want to be clean. I know something's wrong. I know I'm not right with God. I know there's a barrier there. I know my sin's keeping me away from him. I know, and I've been saying, I'm just gonna do better. I'm just gonna do better. And it keeps getting worse, and it keeps getting worse. And I'm just gonna do better, but it keeps getting worse. And you're there, and you know it, and you want something to happen. And the grace of God will break in if you humble yourself and you turn to him and get help. And I, I told y'all, we all have a little bit of the prodigal and a little bit of the elder brother even in us present 
Because a lot of times we just indulge ourselves and we don't care. And then sometimes we get real proud hearted, real, real arrogant when somebody comes in and they're a little bit messed up. And instead of reaching out in need, <laughs> they're kind of, they're messed up. They need a lot of, I mean, you're not going to pray for them, but they need a lot of prayer. But you don't pray. You don't seek. You don't reach out. You're just cold. That may be an indicator that you need this word to come wake you up, help you see what you don't see. And it's a great word, a great hope that we have in this passage because it doesn't end here. It doesn't end. If he ended in the pig pen, that's a bummer. And you're like, Pastor, I'm ready for next week. Can we kind of like skip to that? But we need to feel the pig pen before we want to get clean. And maybe you're here today and you're just not lost enough to realize that you're lost. And so God has to just show you in poignant ways like, you, no, this is you. You're lost. You need this. Okay, part two of our play is the real repentance that we see. And it's right there in verse 17. Real repentance involves coming to your senses, recognizing your sin it's before God and it's before man. And look at this. Verse 17. But when he came to himself, when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants had more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of those hired servants he came to himself and that language may be a little foreign to you in one sense but you really know what it means because anytime you've seen somebody get knocked out right what happens they're just like flat on the ground just like you know i've seen it happen once in the marine corps we had this like thunderdome sort of thing and uh, a couple guys were going at it and um, one of them got basically choked out and and he was unconscious and, 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 and we were kind of like trying to shake him awake. And all of a sudden, he kind of just like, you know, like comes to and starts like, like seeing, oh, I'm awake. And that's what's happening here. He's coming to. He's shaking awake. He's starting to see clearly. He's starting to be sobered up. And he's realizing, I had it better with my dad. I had it better. I never was want for food. And here I am. I can't even get a morsel from the pigs. That's a wake-up call. And, and uh, famous preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones said, like, you can't come to God if you don't realize your dire need and admit it and acknowledge it before God. A man who doesn't think he needs salvation can never be saved. A man who doesn't wake up come to his senses, realize he's in desperate need, a woman who does not realize she's in desperate need will never come to God and will die in the judgment. And how many people are headed, rushing headlong to hell because they don't think they need a Savior? And Jesus is very clear that all have sinned, all have fallen short, all are lost, all are really dead, right? Verse 24 says, for my son was dead and he's alive. 
for he was lost and is found. Every one of us are spiritually dead and we need to be resurrected. But God, Ephesians 2, in his great love for us, while we were dead in our sins, made us alive. How many need that arrow right into their heart? Made us alive. That means you were dead and you were brought to life. That's why John Newton was singing that song because he was a, he, he was a drunken sailor, scandalous, oppressing African-Americans and oppressing Africans, kidnapping them and bringing them in the slave trade back on his ship. And he got set free by Jesus. And he vowed to be a liberationist and abolish slavery. And he was one of the people who actually talked to William Wilberforce and told William Wilberforce these truths. And if you don't know who he is, he's the one who led the charge as a believer to abolish slavery in England. And that trickled down to America. That's what happens when you get set free. You come to your senses and you see reality the way it is and you see your sin before a holy God and you come to him and you wake up and you realize, I've squandered your good things, Lord. I've squandered it. I've lived reckless. I've lived my own way and I need you and please forgive me. And so he's re rehearsing this speech, right? He's got this little speech. Like I'm going to rehearse. I'm going to tell my dad that I've sinned against heaven and before you, which is good, because listen, sin is ultimately before God. And at least the prodigal knew that. But he's like, listen, I'm not worthy to be called your son, but maybe I can work for you and we can kind of figure a plan to kind of work this thing off. You know, I'm going to work off that credit card debt that I spent. And ultimately, you can't get saved that way. You need to actually come to a place where you receive grace. And that's what we're going to see in the next part of our story is, is that he needs lavish grace. But, but this lost son actually has this epiphany that he's lost. And I'm not worthy to be called your son, he says. He's lost. I remember the first time I got lost. I was in Tahoe. And my parents remind me of this story, so it's kind of like a composite of my recollection and their recollection. But they were at a laundromat, and I was probably three years old, maybe three or four, and, um, you know, just doing my thing, you know. You know what kids do in a laundromat is they just sit there, and they behave themselves, and they don't go anywhere. Yeah, that doesn't happen. So I got up, you know, and I kind of wandered about, and then all of a sudden, I wander out the door. And then all of a sudden, I'm wandering down the street, I'm looking at all the shops, and you know, I go into this shop, I go into that shop, and I'm, you know, I'm just doing my thing. You know, oblivious. And then all of a sudden I get to a point where I'm like in this store, and I'm looking around, and I'm looking around, and I'm like, where's mom and dad? And it's like that awareness that I'm lost hits me, and I get scared. And sometimes that's a good scared to be. And ultimately, I like start telling the guy, like, "Hey, I, I I think I was in a laundromat." And you know, long story short, my parents, you know, found me, and I remember just weeping when they, I, I was brought to them, and I see that I'm like, you know, like as soon as I got found, right? That's what's happening here. He was lost, and now he's found, and ultimately. He's waking up to this reality. 
and he's wanting to go home to the Father. Verse 20, let's look at this. This is the amazing grace. So real repentance means waking up to being your awareness of being lost, that you know you're in sin, that you know you're wrong before God. And now we need amazing grace. We need the absolute unfettered love of God reaching out to us or the repentance is meaningless. If God doesn't receive it, if God doesn't have a plan to redeem you, if he didn't send Jesus to a cross, if Jesus didn't live a perfect life in your place, if he didn't die on a cross to bear the wrath you deserve, there is no rescue for you. If you try to go apart from Jesus to get rescued, there's no help. There's no other name given among men by which we must be saved. That's the greatest news. There is a way. So if you're wondering, well, well, is there a way? There is a way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to God but by me, Jesus said. He's the access. He's the love of God manifest towards you that while you were still sinners, he died for you, the Apostle Paul said. So we need the amazing grace of God and the compassionate heart of the Father. Verse 20. Now, and he arose and came to his father, the prodigal does. But while he was a long way off, he saw his father and felt compassion. Um, I'm sorry, but, but while he was still a long way, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. So this is his picture. He's like a long way off. He's coming home. And you got to know that that dad was just out there like, is he back yet? Is he there? How does he know? How does he see him a long way off unless he was waiting for him to come home? And that's God's heart to you. Like if you need to come home, if you need to repent, like he's waiting, open arms. That's what he does. He's ready to rescue. That's why he sent his son. That's why he sent him to a cross. That's why he sent him to Calvary. Because there's no help any other way, but the rescue is perfect. If you come through Jesus, he will not fail you. He'll take you from no condemnation and pronounce you not guilty because you've trusted in him. And he'll take you all the way to no separation, home to glory. He'll take you home. You might have went off to a far off country, but Jesus will bring you home. And the Father's compassion in this story is what the Pharisees were missing. And God's love towards you is like the Father. Longing with compassion, running, embracing, undoing all the social protocols of the day. And he pulled up his pant legs and he ran because a dignified man in those days didn't run anywhere. Maybe some of y'all are like that. I'm not going to run. I'm going to run for that kid, right? But this guy was just like, whoo, I'm, I'm running. I'm running towards you in love. And he laps him up, kisses him. It's a beautiful scene of the love of God. And so the son's like, okay, father, I'm going I'm to do my speech now. Father, I, I love you. I, I, I love you. I'm not worthy to be called your son. And he's like, shut it. Here's what I'm going to tell you. <laughs> Listen, take quickly, he talks to his servants, Quickly, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet. Bring a fatted calf, kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. Let's throw a party. He's home. He's home. It's like he breaks in, doesn't let the confession go all the way and just says, nope, love you. I love you. That's all I needed. Just 
your willingness, your repentance, your coming, and that's all I needed. You're a part of the family. And he restores him, puts a robe on him, puts a signet ring on him. You have the authority of being my child. You're my son. The sonship's restored. And listen, all of us long to be restored to the family of God. We're longing. We're chasing. That's why we go after all the sin and stuff like that. We're trying to satisfy. And there is no satisfaction apart from restored fellowship with your Father in Heaven. And that's what's happening in this parable. Kill the fatted disciple. Layman, yawn me. Let's do it. Let's get the steak going. Let's get the cookout. Let's get the grill out. And the Pharisees will He's going to have steak for this guy. Celebrate. My son was dead. He's alive. He was lost. Now he's found. Let's throw a party. That's the Father's heart. That's the Father's grace. Lavish forgiveness and restoration. It reminds me of John's Gospel. He says, as many as received me who believed in my name, Jesus said, I have given them the right to become children of God with every privilege Every right, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms is yours if you're a Christian. Everything God offers to you, He offers in His Son. And if you have Jesus, you have everything. And the Pharisees were missing it. And this story illustrates that the prodigal, his repentance was real. And though he was dead, he's alive again. Our last part of our play. Verse 25, we're going to read it. And this is like a shocking conclusion. This is like the cliffhanger nobody expected, right? Now his older son was in the field. And as he came, he drew near to the house and he heard the music and the dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked him, what do these things mean? And the servant said to him, your, your brother's come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound. And he was so happy and he went off trotting and skipping. No. Verse 28. But he was angry and he refused to go. I'm not going to go into my father. He refused to go in. And you know what? The father comes out. So the end of the story is flipped from the beginning. The beginning, the prodigal goes out and the father waits and the prodigal returns and gets restored. At the end of the story, the prodigal is outside the house and he refuses to go into the father. And the father comes out. It's this appeal. Even in the wicked, rebellious, self-righteousness of the Pharisees and this elder brother, the father is pictured as going out and saying, son, what's wrong? But he answers his father roughly in verse 29. Look at these many years I've served you. Here's the legalism. I've never disobeyed your command. You never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate. It's like you didn't give me filet mignon. You didn't give me a party. You didn't throw a party for me. And I've been working for you all these years. How many of you have said that in your heart to God? And if you're honest, deep down, you know it. You're angry and you're bitter. Because there's no connection. And you see these sinners getting saved. And you're just like, what's happening? 
Why are they so full of joy and I'm so bitter and miserable? This is for you. It's the Father coming to you and saying, listen, I've got a word for you. I want to tell you there's hope for you. If you will humble yourself and turn to me, there's hope for the elder brother. And if you're an elder brother in here, there's hope for you and I want you to know it. And that's, that's what's being said here. And he even gets to the point where he doesn't even call him his brother in verse 30. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, and this is the father's heart. He said to him, son, you're always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this. Your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And that's what we saw last week, right? There's more joy in heaven over one sinner that repents than 99 just persons. Or there's more joy before heaven in the angels, right? When one sinner repents, that's the same music. That's the same note being beat right here. There's joy in heaven when somebody repents. And you ought to be celebrating when you're angry and bitter and grumbling at the sight of sinners coming to faith and repentance. And that's the danger of the elder brother. So we've seen three parts of this play. We've seen the lostness that can happen. There's two ways to be lost. You can be lost in licentiousness and prodigal living, or you can be lost in self-righteous hypocrisy, trying to earn your way to the father's uh, stuff, because that's what the elder brother is doing. Give me my stuff. I've worked for it. No, you didn't. You were disrespectful right now to your father. You don't really love your father. You just want the paycheck. And the father's love just showering upon sinners who repent. That's what's seen exploding through this passage. So I want to have a couple applications and we're done. But I want you to just really sit under these and think about them and really allow your heart to, to, to stew and, 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 and allow this to kind of marinate in your soul. Application number one. Sin never ultimately satisfies, but it leads to more want and need. It strips you of joy and it leaves you empty. There's nothing new under the sun. Living life apart from God is miserable. And the Proverbs say, there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, that way is death. Sin will never reward you with anything but condemnation, pain, alienation from God and your fellow man, your family. And the Father is just gracious, like, Hey, you might be in a pig pen, but I, I'm calling you home. I want you to come to your senses. Turn away from that stuff. Application number two. You can never enjoy the salvation of others unless you have experienced salvation yourself. That seems automatic, right? But if you don't, if you haven't tasted salvation in your own soul because you're an elder brother, or an elder sister. You've never received this salvation. You've never received this love. You've never received this joy. You don't get excited when sinners get saved. 
You've been dutifully, culturally Christian, and you've been going through the motions of Christianity, but you don't have God's heart, and you have no life in your soul, and you know the Father knows, and He's calling you. Please come out of that and come to the Son who's the true elder brother who lived a life you never could live because you can never earn it yourself. He earned it on the cross, dying for you, rising up out of the grave to give life to you because he's the true elder brother who would have went to the younger brother and pursued him and brought him home. And that's what Jesus came to do on a cross for you and I if we will believe. Oh. Glorious news is coming if you know you need a Savior, if you're lost enough to be found. Application number three. Actually, Charles Spurgeon once said this, and I think it's appropriate to say right now. He said, while others are congratulating themselves, I have to lie humbly at the foot of Christ's cross and marvel, marvel that I'm saved at all. Is that our, is that our hearts? Or do we like deep down we're like, God is really, he really lucked out with me. He really did. Because I'm, I'm like legit, you know? And so I don't really, I mean, yeah, I mean, all are sinners and yeah, I need, I, I mean, Jesus is Savior, but I don't need to be saved. No, you need rescue. Your plight is so desperate. You're like pig pen running with a puff of smoke behind you. And you need to be cleaned up. And lastly, we'll end with this. God is eager to receive sinners who repent. He's just eager and he's longing and he's full of compassion and he's full of joy when they do and he's ready to throw a party. Have you tasted that heavenly blessing? Have you experienced that party? Do you have that going on in your soul? For this my son was dead and is alive. He was lost and now he's found. And they celebrated. We were on our way to church uh, today and we saw this ambulance just rushing mad dash past us. I mean, it must have been going like 70 miles an hour, 80. And it was just rushing. And you know there was probably some mortal situation going on. Desperate. And that's God's heart for you in your sins. He's rushing towards you with gospel hope. He's rushing towards you with a cross-shaped, gracious hand. Just saying, I put my son on a cross. It pleased me to bruise him, to crush him, to crucify him. It was my will to do it. And it was his glad service and his voluntary will to lay his life down on the cross so you could have life. So come to him and live. Come to him and get help. Don't, don't sit in your seat and think, I'll do it next week. Run to him today. He's eager to receive you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your faithfulness and your truth, Lord. We thank you that you love us, Lord. You, you won't leave us. You won't forsake us. And Lord, I know maybe some here have been struck in the heart and need to do business with you, need to, to come to you, need to run to you. We pray that, that we get help.
And I pray that those of us who know you, know this forgiveness, know this love, would get help as well. And I pray, Father, that you would encourage us to mobilize as a people to take the gospel to the world around us because there are people in need and they're perishing in darkness. May we bring the light of the world to them. And we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love. And we just pray, Father, minister to our souls right now. In Jesus' name, amen.